Hi everyone and welcome to The Constant Cheerleader, the podcast that champions the people who go above and beyond to make a difference in the world and their communities over a cuppa. My name is Gemma Stevenson and joining me today is a woman who really took the quote, if there's a book that you want to read but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it, quite literally. The creator of the award-winning blog Life of Pippa has just realised a lifelong dream and published her first book. Based on her own lived experience of navigating higher education with a chronic illness, University and Chronic Illness, a survival guide, covers everything from the application process to top tips on studying and socialising. Oh, and... After you've read the book, you can probably send her a tweet and she'll potentially give you a handy hint on the best novelty onesies to wear at uni too. Uh, here to give us 30 minutes of her best map talk this week is Pippa Stacey. Hi Pippa. Hello, thank you for having me. I mean, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm I'm so glad you had the time to come on because you've been a very busy woman. Life has been quite um, hectic recently. I suppose it's been a very strange time, obviously, for everybody, but having worked from home for years and years and years it has pretty much felt like business as usual so things haven't really slowed down that much so we're just we're plodding on we're powering through it's all good so the whole world has been going oh my god my life has changed completely and you've just been like nah i'm chill i'm there i've got it i've just been sat back and watching it all unfold it's been quite entertaining really just watching people struggle to adapt and i'm just here like yep it's all good just get yourself a cup of tea get yourself set up it'll be fine i promise And that's the thing, I don't know, I don't want to get too political too early on in the episode, but I don't know whether you've experienced this too, but I've I've kind of had a mixed uh, experiences of working from home. I have some places where I freelance for where they're really good with working from home and allow me to do it. But some places have said, oh no, it's, it's totally impossible. Yet a pandemic happens and uh, suddenly non-disabled people need to work from home and it's it's doable in 24 hours oh my goodness it honestly in both education and employment like for so long like people with disabilities and chronic illnesses have faced these barriers and people consistently saying no you can't work from home it just isn't feasible and then exactly like you say like overnight it's like oh hang on yeah let's do it on a wide scale like it's totally fine yeah we'll go for it oh it's very eye-opening isn't it yeah it's it's been incredibly eye-opening um and and seeing people's reactions to having to stay at home yeah it's um well i mean one of the things that people with chronic illnesses hear a lot well they used to hear a lot was people going oh it must be so nice to get to stay home all day and i think now that we've had this situation i think that one might hopefully die down a little bit in the future now people have experienced it (laughs) Uh, and now you did mention something there something that i think everybody could take as a tip to get them through the tough times everything is solved by a cuppa every problem is solved by a cuppa and so i have to ask you the important question and that is what cuppa are you joining us with today well i have my english breakfast tea which is my savior in life um it's a very important coping mechanism for the various challenges that life bring um i have i have an issue with people who have tea in small mugs because i think if you're going to have tea you have to do it right and you have to go for like a proper big decent sized mug you really have to make the most of the experience i think that's something really important no i feel like i feel you like you have to have a proper mug you can't those dainty things you know it's it's over and done with in one sip isn't it Exactly, they look cute, and I mean, if you're doing it for the Instagram, then fair enough. But honestly, Kath Kidston do the best mugs for tea. They do like proper decent sized mugs. They're pretty affordable. They're very pretty. They're always pretty in design. It's all good. You've got your cuppa, and we're now going to move on uh, to a bit more about you. Um, the first question I'm going to ask, and it's so our listeners get to know you, um, is can you tell us a bit about yourself? What have you been doing during this lockdown, and what have you been doing before lockdown as well? 
<laughs> in a nutshell, I am um, I'm 25 years old and I'm originally from Sheffield, now living in York. I moved here for university and I just loved it so much that I've stayed ever since. Uh, my educational background was in psychology, but I work, um, well, I started my blog in 2017, Life of Pippa, and that basically has evolved into something of a career, which is still, it's still a bit of a pinch me kind of thing, like it's an absolute dream come true. Um, so these days I work as a freelance writer and a blogger, um, in quotation marks, an influencer, you could call it. And then I also work um, freelance in the charity sector. So um, I work for a couple of the disability and chronic illness charities in online content. But in my free time, I love theatre. I love musical theatre. I love books and reading. Um, I really enjoy fundraising. And I run a little social enterprise called Spoonie Survival Kits, which is basically making little bags of happiness for chronically ill people which we sell online and we donate the money to charity i think that's a really speedy like introduction into yeah my circumstances based oh i have a chronic illness called me i feel like that's quite important to say <laughs> yeah that's me in a nutshell um you missed one thing out pippa um Go i feel it. like it's your i feel like it's something you should should be the first thing you always tell people uh you have an olivier award Yes, I have an Olivier Award. I should have started with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I um, I was basically um, honoured at the Olivier Awards in 2018. They ran a scheme called um, the Be Inspired Award, and it was basically for people who, um, I think the quote was, inspire a love of theatre in everyone they meet. And that was basically through my work on my blog. I am very interested in accessible and inclusive theatre and when I do re review shows, I kind of do it on a chronic illness friendly scale. So I rate the production in terms of like special effects and how um, challenging it might be if you have sensory overload and then the venue, because we all know that theatres aren't the most wheelchair accessible venues in the world. Um, so the Olivier Award came about as a result of that work. And it was honestly one of the coolest experiences of my life. And actually, I was going to ask you about that because I've just seen, well, I, I saw about a week ago, uh, on your Twitter, um, you've actually been to one of these um, open air, socially distanced theatre experiences that are popping up now. Uh, yeah. I mean, what was that like? Like, how did it feel? And was it, it raining? Was really cool. <laughs> it wasn't raining, luckily enough. Thank goodness. If it was raining, I think it would have been a very different experience. Uh, but no, it was really cool. It was my first time, like physically, like seeing theatre in a very long time, obviously. Um, and I saw, um, it was called Park Bench Theatre, The Initiative, and um, it was basically Samuel Beckett's first love, and it was very fitting because that obviously centres around a park bench. So it was basically an outdoor monologue, and all the audience were given headphones, and the sound basically came through headphones, so everybody sat on the grass, socially distanced, in this really gorgeous environment. It was Roundtree Park in York. It was very cool. It was like, it almost didn't feel comparable to traditional theatre because it felt like such like a unique experience in itself. But yeah, I, I really hope we see more stuff like that in the future because in many ways it was actually more accessible than attending a traditional theatre. And they do say you can create theatre anywhere. I mean, you only have to, it did get cancelled because of obviously um, us having some local outbreaks of coronavirus, but was it Six the Musical that came out and we're going to do a drive-through production? And I was like, yes! Did you get tickets as well? I bought tickets as yes. soon as they came out. Yeah. And I was so excited. And then what was it? Like a couple of days later, it wasn't that long, was it? And then the email came that it's been cancelled. Oh, heartbreak. Do you know what? I was so excited to sit in my car and watch Six. Like, people who've seen Six are like Six obsessive. 
Like absolutely, I've seen it in the West End. It yeah. is a phenomenal show and actually perfect for social distancing. Like it is one of those shows that you could see could quite easily be restaged for social distancing times. Um, others, yes, um, there there is problems. I mean, lame is I'm just imagining. Marius socially distanced holding Eponine as she's dying at the barricade. I I can't imagine it. Um, but um, it is one of those shows that it is a type of show that really could innovate in these kind of eras with restrictions, isn't it? Yeah, it would just work. It's one of those shows where it feels really like not only does it feel current, it feels really adaptable. Like it would just make so. Like, I mean, when I saw the news, obviously. Um, about the driving tour it just made so much sense i was like of course six are doing this that is such a sick sort of thing to do it was it would have been so cool if it had happened and maybe it will happen in the future we don't know maybe probably the spring because i can't imagine the performers wanting to you know stand outside on a stage <laughs> in the middle of in, a snowstorm in thermals yeah. could you imagine henry the eighth's wives singing in thermals i think it would really add something to the performance <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna move on now uh, we've talked a bit about theatre. See, I told you, I told you we go off on tangents here. So. Um, we talked a bit about theatre and Olivia Awards, but you now have a book. Um, yeah, you. You are now an author. Uh, that's another thing you didn't mention about yourself. You're an author. You're <laughs> I like... still feel a bit strange calling myself an author. It still doesn't feel real. <laughs> um, but you are. You've written a book. You published a book just before uh, lockdown, just before. Well, actually, when we we were kind of going... Ah, coronavirus, meh, it's somebody else's problem, actually. Until the full wave hit. Um, yes. But, um, so, it actually hadn't been out long before we kind of went into full-on lockdown and nobody could get into shops. Were there, were there specific challenges there with publicising it? Because, obviously, publishing it in January, you'd want that book to be there and on shelves, ready for, you know, the next cohort of people looking at, you know, doing the UCAS applications and looking at going to university, wouldn't you? Yeah, it was definitely a challenge. So it it came out as normal. Everything was good. And there were a couple of weeks where everything was grand. I got to do interviews and be in the press and stuff like that. But we had all of this stuff planned, obviously, in the run up to September for the next cohort of uni students to start. Um, so there were loads of like really exciting things planned and then coronavirus happened, which was not ideal for anybody. Um, and it basically meant that everything got cancelled. So like the book launch, all the other press activity, um, all the talks in universities, all of that stuff just got completely wiped out. So, I mean, we have found a few creative ways around it. So I have been doing a lot of stuff online and I've been utilising the fact that I do have something of a platform and I have an audience. So it's just been... It has been really difficult, I'm not going to lie. It's been really challenging, and I'm just trying to get eyeballs on the book. That's the most important thing. So I'm just still really pushing in this like run-up to the next lot of uni students starting. I just want to make sure that the people who could benefit from it just know it exists. And that's the thing. I mean, there have been, not to get too political, but, I mean, we are talking nearly a week after the whole exams fiasco that went on. I mean, I don't know... Because you've written this book as well, I don't know whether you've heard from, um, you know, A-level students who were looking to go at universe, to university and have found that they've been affected as well. Because actually having a chronic illness, um, you can't even necessarily draw upon your mock results and say that's what would have happened, would you? Because it's so changeable, it's so unpredictable um, that what you could achieve in January doesn't even give an insight into what you could achieve in July. Absolutely. There was just so many issues with, and I mean, I get that that was like um, 
a solution to a not ideal system for anybody like there was there was never going to be a perfect solution but it honestly a level results day was heartbreaking i had people messaging me who'd like lost their places at uni and like you said um their mock results that we used weren't a reflection like i had one girl who won't mind me saying this because she talks about it publicly like one who sat her mocks like three days after she came out of hospital who was really poorly and obviously that's not gonna reflect your best work and it's not going to show universities like the very best that you can be um so yeah there were just so many unique issues and it's just oh it's just so sad to think about because studying with a chronic illness at any level is full of so many challenges and to think that people have just gone through all of that hard work and made all that sacrifice just to lose out this time around anyway oh it's it just made me so sad it's just so awful for them And there's an access issue there as well. I've just picked up on something you said, you know, they didn't get their first choices. You know, very often somebody with a disability or a chronic illness, their choices are, as much as they are influenced by the course that they want to do, they're influenced by the accessibility of the institute, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. There's so much more that goes into it and you do have less flexibility with stuff like this if if you have any kind of disability or long-term health condition. And like even things like the pastoral support and like the disability support services like all of these things are really relevant and they will have played into somebody's decision about where to go and where's going to be the best fit for them so if that's suddenly snatched away from somebody it's like you say like it's just not that simple and I do know that a lot of people who have been in that position have instead chosen to take a year out which I suppose it's not ideal and it's not what people want but I suppose if the comparison is between taking a year out to reset and make sure your health is okay than pursuing a degree in an in like an inaccessible environment that you didn't necessarily choose I suppose a year out is the more preferable option the other thing is is you know we've mentioned the access here but um generally March time is kind of when the open days start happening yes isn't it for universities like I can't even imagine how you would navigate an open day in a pandemic when there isn't one and you're kind of just sitting there playing a guessing game I actually, um, I had a little bit of um, a plan to do, at least, it's not obviously not going to fully combat the issue, but a way to get around it. When the open day started getting cancelled, I did this thing on my blog and it was basically like a pairing scheme. So I got um, as many students as I could find, um, disabled students from each university who would be willing to chat to prospective students um, about like access and disability issues. So I basically made this um, list of like connections and contacts for prospective disabled students. So at least they had somebody they could go to with the questions that they might otherwise have wanted to ask on an open day. So while it's not getting around the fact that they can't actually go and physically experience the environment for themselves, at least they have somebody there to answer their questions. Um, And I was really proud of that, actually, because people did find it helpful, which was really lovely to see. Actually speaking to somebody who is there um, is always important and with lived experience. And I think that's why your book's important as well, because all the tips in there are done in a highly entertaining way. But they're also based on your lived experience of navigating university, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And something I found in my research was that the, um, the disability support pages for all the different unis in the UK, when you've been looking at them a while, they all just seem to look the same. They're all just the same generic advice regurgitated over and over again when what people really need is to hear from somebody who's actually been in that position themselves and they're able to the way I always put it is the book is basically all the things I wish I'd had somebody to tell me back then so it's actually somebody who's been through the experience they're actually living it 
experiencing it in real time and it's not just this really like blanket statement approach it's actual personal experience and stories that are weaved into the practical advice as well and this is this goes into publishing in general i mean um i think there's been a lot of talk about diversifying publishing because actually the stories that are getting told aren't necessarily everybody's experiences what do you think of the publishing landscape at the minute when it comes to representing disabled voices um and disabled people there's room for improvement shall we say <laughs> that's very I... very 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 <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> i um i do i think it's very slowly been getting better over the last few years but oh my goodness there is so much room in both fiction and non-fiction i'm still waiting for fiction books that accurately portray chronic illness and honestly if i don't see them i'm going to start writing them myself i swear um and i just think yeah even like within the books that do exist and they do tackle disability often they come from non-disabled authors and it's this very same almost the same thing with the blanket approach it's a very like stereotypical approach to disability and you can tell it doesn't really get to i mean i get frustrated a lot when books don't really get to the heart of the issue when they're tackling health conditions um so i definitely think they there should be more disabled voices like we're living in 2020 like there should be more disabled voices in publishing and literature at all levels not just the writers in the industry as well because i know the publishing industry is very difficult to break into so actually sitting here saying this now maybe one of the ways to tackle that would be to make sure opportunities in the publishing industry are open for disabled people and then it might even be that it filters through it's endlessly frustrated and like i i think the time i do think we need to see a movement in the near future where we really tackle these things once and for all like i think the time is rapidly coming although that said actually i saw something really cool um on social media this morning and it was um comedian rosie jones um, oh, just she's brilliant her new thing yeah. yeah um and that looked like a really positive take i think it's channel four that she's doing this show with and that looked like a really positive take so like i do think we need things like that to just pick us up sometimes and just show that we are making progress just really 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 slowly book industry and the film industry are quite linked aren't they i mean you've got to just look at how many adaptations of books that that we see on the film screen um and it is you know often when you do have a disabled character in a piece of fiction you then go over to the to the film and it's basically a non-disabled actor doing what people in the industry call cripping up really oh god yeah it drives me mad um uh, the fact that it even exists like after and people this isn't a new thing that people have just started talking about like disabled people have been trying to raise awareness about this issue for years and it's like well what is it going to take to make us feel heard finally like what will it take it's quite concerning actually what is it going to take to make the change i'd like you say though i think we are at a turning point i think the disabled community's time is to come it just takes that one person or that that one time for people to stop and listen because that's what it's about isn't it it's it's not about ranting on at somebody or telling them that wrong it's about people going away isn't it like being an ally to for you what does being an ally to the disabled community mean i would say it's just been open to listening to people's lived experience so it's not a case of going away and sitting down with a book and reading in depth about ableism and all the ways it still exists in society it's actually um, which I don't think most people would be up for doing but it's about actually connecting with um, individuals and also recognizing the fact that every individual has a unique lived experience there isn't just this one typical experience of disability or this one look that disability has because it's such a spectrum and it ranges so much so I think it's people one being open to learning about people's experiences and two proactively learning what they can go away and 
do without having this, <laughs> without having like the savior complex, like, oh, I will help the nice little disabled person. I'm such a hero. <laughs> we want to avoid that altogether. <laughs> and it's actually like, what can you actually do to be an ally and actually challenge the stuff we see and challenge the ways that society is inaccessible, but do it in a way that puts us on a level playing field, I suppose. And uh, you have you had something on your Instagram the other day about holy grails and holy fails. Now, I, I think that's a brilliant way to do it. Can you explain to us about your holy grail, holy fail? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's just, um, that came about because there are so many things that we're sold in this day and age. Um, so there are so many things that people try to push down to disabled people. So it falls into the category of like mobility aids and like adaptive equipment, but it might not necessarily be designed for like for disability in mind. But when you're part of the disability online community, you do see all these records, like these recommendations from people, these products which have helped, and then you get people spamming you with these things that have like quotation marks cured them oh, and the cure. <laughs> oh, green smoothies and all that jazz. Um, <laughs> so I basically wanted to ask people what were their holy grails. So what were the things that they had tried and had and had actually worked for them, and what were the holy fails? So the stuff they'd bought and been really let down by. And it was such an interesting conversation. Like people really got involved with it and it was just so interesting. And while there were common things that came up in each category, some things that were holy grails for some people were holy fails for another. And again, it just goes to show there is no one size fits all approach to disability. There's so much variation in it. It was a really interesting discussion. Is there a concern for you as we build back? There's not this emphasis on building back better and building back accessibly for everyone. And certain communities are getting left behind. Definitely. I think if you were to like really get to the core of the issue, I think it just boils down to the fact that disabled people seem to still be seen as second class citizens. So like this doesn't always seem to be a priority to those in positions of power who are like making the changes and paving the way forward. It still seems like accessibility and inclusion are an afterthought. So like there, I think... Personally, I think a lot of people still see accessibility as like a nice thing to do, like a nice gesture, like, oh, look, yeah, we'll be an ally. We'll put that in afterwards rather than like actually viewing disabled people and disabled consumers on a level playing field with non-disabled people. And I think that's still a massive, massive part of the issue. I mean, that is a really good thought to kind of move on to my next bit. Have you watched Cheer on Netflix? I love Cheer on Netflix. I really, really hope they do another one. We're going to we're gonna kind of go to... The podcast is called The Constant Cheerleader. So we're going to go to the cheerleading-themed section of our podcast. First thing, I, I see you, like, waving your pom-poms there. In the <laughs> uh, you're imagining pom-poms. Uh, <laughs> Temporarily forgot I was on webcam there. <laughs> <laughs> so... This first bit I'm going to ask you about is the cultural exchange. Now, in cheerleading, when we go off to comps, we give something from our country to athletes from another country, and they give us something back. So this is your opportunity now, Pippa, to um, give us your bit of cultural exchange. Awesome. So I was thinking about this, and I thought my kind of thing, I obviously love theatre, and I do experience barriers with theatre because of my chronic illness. Um, So I wanted to share a recommendation for anybody who perhaps might be listening to this who does, for whatever reason, struggle to get out to the theatre or they're just simply missing theatre in this time. Um, There's a really brilliant company called The Showstoppers and they basically do improvised comedy musical theatre. I've loved them for years. I've been very lucky to see them live quite a few times now and they're basically doing 
um, live streams that you can purchase tickets for and they're very affordable and they're doing socially distanced theatre um, that you can watch from home but it's still interactive so they will start off the performance and then audience members can shout out if you will recommendations via the chat box so they'll say do a song based on the style of Dear Evan Hansen or like you should set it in a bookshop or uh, Bernard Castle was the one that I um, watched and they it's honestly it's just brilliant they are so talented and they just take the audience suggestions from home and they create a musical around it and being able to watch that from the comfort of your own home and still be involved with it I just think that's a really cool thing and there are upcoming performances I mean one thing I thought you might suggest mind you was a uh, onesie because we haven't touched on this actually oh. you have quite a thing you're not in a onesie today as well Pippa I mean... I'm not I um, you should feel honoured I actually got dressed for this <laughs> I, made an effort. I know but I was like half expecting this like funky onesie to appear on my screen as I interviewed you. <laughs> I mean, what I've is it? Trick. As part of your cultural exchange as well, I'm going to ask you to give us your top onesie tips because I feel like you are the onesie expert. Amazing. I um, I do spend a lot of time in pajamas and onesies, so I feel like I'm quite um, equipped to advise in this area. Honestly, if you're if you two spend a lot of time in pajamas or onesies, my tip would be just to go with whatever makes you happy because even if you're having the most rubbish pain day, wearing a mouse onesie can make more of a difference than you think. It just makes Honestly, it can just make you laugh. Like, I'm totally aware they're not designed for, like, 25-year-olds, but sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Now, this is a big moment. This is the moment that everybody's been waiting for from you, Pippa. No pressure. Okay. You have seen Cheer on Netflix, so you know the standard that you have to achieve. The standard is Jerry Harris level. We need you to do some map talk for us. It's your motivational cry to our listeners to keep them positive and going for the rest of the week. Okay, I have a simple fact for you, and it's this. Squirrels plant thousands of new trees each year simply by forgetting where they put their acorns. And I think that is so applicable to life these days. Even if things aren't going the way you think they are, even if you feel like you're doing a rubbish job and you're making mistake after mistake after mistake, and that's something I can definitely relate to at the moment, you might be doing more good than you think, and something good might still come out of it. So even if you've forgotten where you've planted your acorn, it doesn't mean that a tree isn't going to come out of it. I mean, you've just defied all expectations, Pippa. I mean, that is some of the best Matt talk we've had on this podcast. You should take over my role as the presenter in this podcast because of that <laughs> truly brilliant insight. Um, Honestly, it wasn't Jerry Harris level, but I, when I found that fact out, I was like, okay, that's going to be like my, that's going to be my thing. I'm going to take this on board. And I think it's something we can all relate to at the minute. I mean, you say it's not Jerry Harris level. I'm pretty sure if Jerry Harris heard that Matt talk, he'd be using it all that's left for me to say is uh thank you so much uh for joining me today Pippa I know you are exceedingly busy woman right now you've got so much on and I don't quite know how you're doing it you are a machine I'm so grateful that you could come on and give us your time today and talk about not just your book but some really important topics as well uh, alongside your book oh thank you so much for having me it's been so nice to talk to you I'm just really grateful for you uh, for having me on and it's such a fab podcast as well I love it it's it's honestly been a pleasure thank you thank you and thank you again and thank you everyone once again for listening I'll leave you with one final message and that is to stay safe and stay well and we will meet again at the same time next week to champion another of life's cheerleaders thank you mm-hmm.